good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Can we welcome our Appleton campus, Germantown campus, online campus? It is a beautiful day in Wisconsin. Amen? Praise God. And you're here, which means you're guaranteed a place in heaven because you're not out playing golf. And if you know someone that is, you're, you can just say, Pastor said you're going to hell. Just tell them that, right? I'm just teasing. Somebody's like, really? No, I'm just joking. Look, if I haven't offended you yet, just see me after church and we'll get it over with, okay? Because it's an occupational hazard. Today we are continuing our series. This is week three in a four-part series as we're talking about struggles and, and this issue of struggle that we deal with. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 7. We're going to cover Romans chapter 7 today. Next week we're going to conclude the series by covering Romans chapter 8. Last week we spent, uh, we covered Romans 6, and then the first week we kind of really covered a few passages, the Romans 7, 14, and 15, and 16, which is kind of the key to this whole talk. So for those of you that may not have been here, I want to just kind of go back for just a minute and re-go over some things that we've talked about. Everything that's in black came from the first week. Everything that's in green came from last week. And uh, I'll probably do red this week, except for Fred. We'll talk about him in just a second. But the reality is, is that struggle is a tension that we all face. Tension, it means to strain or to stretch. And we all have this. And what happens is, is that before Christ, before we come to Christ, we know something's not right. We know that we've got a void in our life that needs to be filled. Uh, but we just don't really know what it is. Because, quite frankly, we're living in the flesh. And the flesh is... It's, it's the physical part of who we are. It's our mind and our body. But our spirit, which is the immaterial part of us, the part of us that's eternal, that will live forever, whether in heaven or hell, that's our choice, um, is, uh, is really not awakened at that point. Uh, because it's there, and it's, but, but, but really we're dominated by the flesh and not by our spirit. And so, so that's what happens. And, and when we're before Christ, we're kind of a slave to sin, which leads to death. Romans 3.23 says that if all of us have, have, have uh, fallen short of the glory of God, that all of us have sinned, and that none of us are righteous. Romans 6.23 says that for the wages of sin is death, uh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what happens, we use Fred kind of as an analogy, that Easter weekend we had 84 decisions for Christ. People made decisions to serve Jesus that week, 84. So a guy like Fred who is totally lost without Jesus, he's a slave to sin, he, he, he's on his way to hell and death, he's dominated by flesh, he gets invited to life church, he comes. And all of a sudden what happens here at this point is he encounters the Holy Spirit. The Bible says unless the Holy Spirit draws us, none, nobody comes to repentance, nobody comes to salvation, nobody comes to conversion, walking away from death into life, walking away from the flesh and, and following the Spirit of God. And so what happens with Fred is he realizes that he's a sinner in need of a Savior. He realizes that Romans 3.23 is true, that he has sinned, and so has everybody sinned, and falling short of the glory of God. And he also hears, though, that there's this gospel, which means good news, that Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, came and gave his life so that Fred could have eternal life, that he didn't have to be dominated by the flesh, which leads to death, but he could be dominated by the Spirit, which leads to to life. And so Fred gives his life to Jesus Christ. And, and Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that when Fred confesses with his mouth, it doesn't say Fred, but you understand, and believes in his heart that Jesus is Lord, he is saved. Being saved, having the Spirit of God awakening your life, be, uh, walking away from sin and death is not about being a member of a church. 
It's not about taking communion. Sorry. If it was about me doing something, it would be on me. The Bible says it's, been, it's by grace that I've been saved, unearned, undeserved, favor of God, through faith. That's what I do. I take my faith and I put it in Jesus. But Jesus paid the price for my sins. So it's not about me taking communion. I do that because I remember Jesus' death until he comes. It's symbolic of what's happened in my life and what Jesus has done for the world. It's not about water baptism. Thus, it would be something that I would do. Right? Water baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. It's not about church membership. Because quite frankly, Jesus and the disciples, none of them were members, quote-unquote, official. They didn't go through life track and then, and then go to Maggiano's for lunch and become members at Life Church. It's not about church membership. The thief on the cross... Let me, let me just, because I can theologically feel some tension going, I don't know, I think you have to take the communion and the Eucharist and water baptism. and Those are all things we should do. The thief on the cross, Jesus is standing suspended between heaven and earth. He has two thieves, both punishable by death. They, 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 were, they were criminal capital offic- uh, uh, offenses. These guys were, this is the electric chair, okay? This is lethal injection in the first century. It was the cross. They were, were horrible individuals deserving of death. One mocks Jesus. The other one says, cries out to Jesus as the Messiah and says, have mercy. What does Jesus say to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. When Jesus walks back through the, from the gates of hell, goes right to the Father, and those three days that he's dead, he comes back home, if you will, with the thief on the cross. That thief has not the ability to have, be water baptized, to be a member of a church, to go to confessional booth. Come on, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Or take communion. It's by faith that I'm saved through the grace of Jesus Christ. It is what Paul says to the church in Rome. In Rome, it's 10, 9, and 10. When I confess with my mouth, that's what the thief did. When I believe in my heart, that's what the thief did. Then, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's what the thief did. Then I will be saved, period. That's what happened to Fred. Boom. And he experiences unreal freedom. But then what happens is Fred goes and he begins to live this life, and he wakes up on Monday morning, and he doesn't look like Brad Pitt. Make sense? Because sometimes we just think, man, all of a sudden, ah, everything's going to be perfect. It's going to come up roses, right? And his girlfriend still doesn't like him, and the dog still has to be taken out for a walk, and, and his boss is still a jerk, and he's still got credit card debt. He's still living life. It doesn't just evaporate. And so the reality is, is here's where he's at. And he's realizing, whoa, something is, it's this tension. It's this struggle. He knew something was wrong here, but didn't know quite what it was. He realizes it. His eyes are open here. He gives his life to Christ. He experiences his freedom. But over here, after death, he's still, this is a spiritual growth line, right? This isn't a physical growth line. But after death, he realizes, I'm still dealing with this tension. I'm still dealing with the struggle. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. And so how do I overcome? First of all, is it natural? The answer is yes, struggle, tension is natural. Until we die, until this flesh is no more, we're struggling with this. That's the reason why that, the, that, that death doesn't have a sting in the life of a Christ follower. That the grave has no victory in our life. Quite frankly, when you see someone who has been following Jesus and they end their earthly time, they're, they're dead There's the funeral service. It's not a time for grieving. 
in that regard. It's a time for rejoicing because this struggle is over. This tension is over. They've won. They have passed the finish line and laid up for them, the Bible says, is, is, is this crown of righteousness that they will receive from God the Father. And they'll receive a new body that won't be flawed by the failures of sin and by the struggle and the tension. They'll receive a new name. They'll receive, that, that's all of us. That's our reward. The problem is, is that life is so good in our world. But if I took you to Istanbul today, where they've asked every missionary that we have to leave the country. I was just with one of the area directors this week and had breakfast with him, and he said all of our missionaries are staying. They're not outside. They're not outdoors. They're families. They're children, but they're staying because that's what God's called them to, and if it means by death, then they will die. These are American families who are missionaries that you support and that I support, that we support, that are literally giving their lives. Why? Because they understand that death has no hold in our life. Do I want to die? No. There's restaurants I want to eat at. There's golf courses I need to play. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. But at the end of the day, I laid my life down with Fred at conversion. And so the reality is, though, is while I'm living this earth, as long as I have breath to breathe and strength in this body, I'm going to live for Jesus. So how do I deal with this? And we talked about this last week. How do I truly become a slave to righteousness that leads to life? I've got to learn how to die to sin. We talked about that, chapter 6, and live for Jesus. Today, I want to continue on this journey, talking about this struggle. And here's the big question that we're answering today. Paul asks this in verse 24. Who will set me free from this body of death? Outside of death itself, how do I overcome is what he's asking. How do I overcome? So Romans chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 4. The first three verses are basically an analogy that Paul gives about this tension and struggle, and he likens it to marriage. I'm not even going to go there. I don't even have enough time to do that today. All right? But it's, 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 it's just an analogy. It's an example. It's an illustration, if you would. Great, awesome, but, but it's not necessarily pertinent. It, it just reinforces what we've already said. So I just want to jump right into verse 4. Paul says this. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may be joined together to him, to Jesus, who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Verse 5. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, we were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. So when I'm living in sin, my wages is death. Romans 6.23. We talked about that last week. Look at verse 6. But now... We have been released from the law. Remember, the law is God's rules of do's and don'ts given in the Old Testament to Moses. Having died to that which by which we were bound, the law, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. So Paul begins to explain why the law was given. Now remember, the law is, if you read the Old Testament, especially the book of Deuteronomy, you will see the law of God that was given to Moses. It's all the do's and don'ts. I mean, it goes down to the point of you can't have like polyester and cotton blends, literally, no mixing of fabrics, uh, there's no pork, we know that's not right, amen, <laughs> I'm telling you, when I took the team to Israel back in the fall, I remember going, I was in Jerusalem at the hotel, I looked at Ryan one night for dinner, I said, I can't eat this anymore, I can't have any more falafel, I can't have, I, I have to have cheese, Mixed with bacon, oh, thank you, Jesus, and a big, fat, juicy hamburger. So I asked the concierge at the hotel, I said, I said, is there any place I can get to? Just I get a cab, get to. And he said, do you want kosher or non-kosher? 
like I was about to do something really horrific. And I said, oh, non-kosher, baby. He said, then he told me exactly where to go, which is, it was a $30 hamburger. I didn't care. I did not care. It was, the, it was not the greatest hamburger I ever put in my mouth, but I'm telling you right there, it was like, I feel Jesus. I'm just telling you. Okay? The law says I can't do that. Thank God we're not under the law. Amen? So here's what I want you to understand. What he's saying here is that the law is, is God's rules of do's and don'ts. And what happens is in our life, what happens right here is that the law... What happens with Fred is that he encounters the law of God. Because when we're living in the flesh, right here, this side of its flesh, this side of its spirit. When we're living in the flesh and we're totally given to the flesh before we come to faith in Christ, the law is in our life. The law says you, and if you infract one area of the law, you've broken all of it. It's not like a score if you got a 92%, it's passing. It's you miss one-tenth of a percent, you're done. That's the reason why Jesus Christ had to come and die for us. He who was tempted and tried in all manner and all ways, just as we are, yet without sin. He fulfills the law, and he dies on the cross. He's the perfect sacrifice. Paul's saying here in these first couple of verses is that the law does two things in our life. Number one, the law exposes our sin. It exposes our sin because before we encounter God's law, we don't even know that we're wrong because we're living in the flesh. We're, 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 we are dead in a spiritual nature to God. And all of a sudden, about this point, man, the, the, the light bulb, the light bulb, it kind of goes on. Like all of a sudden we realize, whoa, 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 something's happening. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Do you remember when that happened for you? That's what God's law does for it. It serves us to show... I, I'm, I've got sin in my life. I'm, I'm wrong. And all of a sudden you feel sick. All of a sudden you feel like you're horrible. All of a sudden, that's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And so the law is what says this is where you're, you, you, you don't measure up. This is what's going on. And all of a sudden you feel like, whoa, this is what's happening. That's what the law does for us. The second thing the law does for us is it exposes our sinfulness. It's one thing to, to sin. It's another thing to sin over and over and over. That's our rebellious nature. It's what this flesh is comprised of. It's, it's, it's this, ne- this, 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 this thing in us. And when we're told we can't do something, that's what we do. If you don't believe that's not in existence in human nature, go right now to the toddler room, three, four-year-olds. You will hear the words, mine. Right? They will shove kids down. They will cry. They will, it's, it's this, it's all about, and, and it's just, it's about them. Right? That's why you have to teach your kids to share and to be nice. Amen? So, so you don't. So anyhow, but that's, what, that's what's going on. Tell me you don't. I know you don't. So anyhow, uh, but, but, but this is what's happening. And Paul says, but look at verse 6. He says, but now. So what's been happening in my life up to this point is I've been under the law. But now. There's a new thing that's instituted. This new thing is called grace. Grace is undeserved favor. I deserve death, but Jesus comes and gives me, Jesus comes and gives me life. I deserve to be a sinner, but Jesus comes and makes me the righteousness of God. That's what the Bible says. We become the righteousness of God because of ourselves? No, because of grace through Jesus Christ. That's what we become. And so what Paul's wanting us to understand is that, yes, the law exposes my sinful nature. The law exposes my sin. 
But grace comes so that I no longer have to live in this flesh. I may have to have tension and struggle and deal with it, but I can overcome it because there's grace. So I'm not worried about, hey, did I just have a bacon double cheeseburger and does that violate the law? Because it does. Grace says, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Why? Because somebody, but, but, but Aaron, the law has to be fulfilled. Yes, Jesus fulfills the law. And when I accept Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ comes into my heart and into my life, the way Romans chapter 3 says, he stands at the door of every man and woman's heart and he knocks on the door. And if anyone hears my voice and they invite me to come in, I will come in. When Jesus comes in, he's the fulfillment of the law. He's perfection. God's not looking for me to be perfect. Does he, now we're going to talk about this in a minute. Is it okay then for me just to go and sin because I'm under grace? No. No, McFly. No, it's not, right? Bueller, Bueller, anyone? You understand what I'm saying? The reality is, is that I've been given grace so that I don't have to worry about all these do's and don'ts. Because there's no way I can keep up with all of that. I've been given grace because Jesus Christ fulfills it. So I've been given the grace so that I can now be a slave to righteousness, that I can pursue Jesus. That's how that works. And in pursuing Jesus, I began to overcome the struggle and the tension. If I just use grace as a welcome mat to wipe my feet off on, so I can go get drunk, so I can go have illicit sex, so I can go do whatever sinful activity I want to do and go, well, I've been saved by grace, going to heaven. I miss it. I make a mockery out of what God did for me. But if I, if I know that Jesus fulfills the law and I begin to pursue life in grace, when I do make a mistake, when I do fall and fail, when I do sin, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all righteousness. So that, as we'll learn in Romans chapter 8 next week, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of sin and death has been done away with. That's next week. I can't get to that right now. All right. So, but now, this is what's happening. It's, it's grace that's happening. Do you understand that? It's grace. So let's read on. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What then shall we say? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. And, 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 but apart from the law, is dead. The law, sin is dead. Let me just stop right there. I, I know the guys have this on. I want you to understand this. So the law shows me that what's happening in my life is sin. But when Jesus comes into my life, law has been taken care of. So I no longer have to be concerned with the law. I'm now concerned with being a slave or serving righteousness, serving Jesus, which leads to life. That's what he's saying. Let's read on. Verse number 9. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which is the result in life, proved to result in death for me. For in sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? Did the law actually cause sin in my life is what he's asking. May it never be. Rather, it was sin. So sin's what was destroying me. The law just pointed it out is what he's saying. In order that it might be shown uh, be, that sin affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment sin would be utterly sinful. 
So is the law sinful? No. The law, in what Paul's saying, is not the cause of death or sin in my life. It merely points it out. The same way an MRI machine does not cause cancer, it merely points it out. The law is not the cause of my sin. The law merely shows Fred that he is a sinner in need of a Savior. That's what it does. The law serves me in that way. But once I realize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I give my life to Christ, I experience freedom. And so the law then is done away with. It's not that the law doesn't exist. It's that the law has been fulfilled. We share like this. Check. Those of you that do to-do lists, you've kind of checked that one off your list. You can go on. You don't have to spend your whole life trying to keep up with the law. Because here's how this fleshes out in everyday real-world scenarios. The Bible says that when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, their name is written in what's called the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life, so this is not, you'll get this. The Lamb's Book of Life basically has every name of every person that's ever given their life to Jesus. So let's go back to Fred. So Fred, on Easter weekend, gives his life to Christ, and his name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Why? Because he, the law has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. He realizes he's a sinner in need of a Savior. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says he's confessed with the mouth, he's believed in his heart that Jesus is Lord, he is saved through grace. And so now he's a slave to righteousness. Is he perfect? No. He's still having to deal with this struggle and this tension of this flesh. But he's learning to overcome. He's learning to die to sin. He's learning to live for Jesus. That's why the law is given. So Fred's name is in there. Well, here's the deal. Fred, all of a sudden, Fred on Tuesday just totally, 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 let me find my eraser. Fred on Tuesday just totally loses his, his cool and just has a cussing fit. You've never done that before, I know. But he has this cussing fit. And all of a sudden, some people would say in the law, well... Fred's name's been taken out of the Lamb's Book of Life. Fred, you're going to hell now. Because that's not very nice, Fred. You made Jesus cry. All the goofy things we say as Christians. That's what you tell your kids, right? So Fred goes, you're right. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus, forgive me my sins. Da, 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 da. So then Fred's name goes back into the Book of Life. <laughs> then on Friday, Fred goes out and he has a fish fry. And he just gets smashed drunk. Well... We know that drunkenness is a sin. The law tells us that. And, and we know the Bible, so it's, he's, out of, he's out of here again. Fred, you're going to hell now. Fred wakes up on, on Saturday morning after uh, throwing his guts up and all that you go through with that. Finally realizes the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. He needs to get it right. So then God says, okay, Fred, you're back in Lansbury life. You're going to heaven. Do you understand? It doesn't work that way. Amen. But my grandmother would think it works that way. <laughs> my grandmother, she didn't watch any, television, man, was a sin. If it was fun, it was a sin, right? I mean, you didn't go watch movies. You didn't play cards. You didn't have any games with dice in them. Because <laughs> heaven forbid, you might start gambling. Woo, it's a slippery slope. You're going to go from Monopoly right to hell. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that was it. I remember play, first grade, having Monopoly, playing a game. My grandmother was like, tell, tell my mom, Paula. Those boys are going to go to hell playing a game with dice. <laughs> so I'm filtering right now. So anyhow, the deal is my grandmother would walk through. My grandfather would watch. He loved the, the, the uh, uh, Cardinals and would watch baseball. And it would walk through, and she would say, Marin, you think if the trumpet of the Lord would sound right now and time would be no more, you'd go to heaven watching that baseball game? I don't think so. <laughs> because the idea was is that this is law. 
And people that are on the law side of it really struggle with grace because they're scared that the, law, that the standards are going to come down. What they're, what they're concerned of is that, is that people are going to use grace as a welcome mat to wipe their feet off on. On the other side, people that really get some of this concept but really lean more heavily to grace, um, they'll kind of go, well, man, it doesn't matter if I drink or get drunk. Jesus paid the price for my sins. Doesn't matter if I have an affair or whatever, Jesus paid the price for my sin. Doesn't matter if I'm watching pornography, Jesus paid the price for my sin. Doesn't matter if I gossip and slander, Jesus paid the price for my sin. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that's what Jesus went to the cross for so that you can go get drunk? You think God gave his one only son so you could just go online and just watch all the pornography you want to watch? Do you think Jesus did that just so you can go live the way you want to live? Why do you think God told us to be monogamous sexually in relationships? One man, one woman. Regardless how you feel, it's not marriage that defines a holy covenant relationship. It's God that defines it. So it's not two same sex. They're joined together in holy matrimony. That's not holy matrimony. I didn't write the book. Just saying what the Bible says. Don't email me. Email God at godhotmail.com. Tell him about it. Why did he do that? The struggle that's internal? It's sin. We all deal with it. One sin is not worse than another sin. Sorry, that's not in scripture. The reality is I'm dealing with me. So did Jesus go to the cross so that I could just go sin? No. Is the law causing me to sin? No. What causes me to sin? My flesh. But what happens is, is over here we have people that just want to say, well, I can just go do what I want to do. No, that's not why Jesus Christ came. He came so that you would be free to be a slave to righteousness, so that you would have life. Listen, God's law is given to us. God's word is given to us because it's the very best way to live. Sin is fun for a season, but then there's a price tag. So whether it's through sickness or death or disease, whether it's through harmed, broken relationships, do you know how many people I talk to and counsel with and the church does and we minister to people that have been broken and hurt, hurt because people completely violated Scripture over and over and over again and, and they just thought, well, grace was going to cover it? So, yes, Fred can't just have a cuss and rage and go to hell. Yes, Fred can't just go get drunk and he's going to go to hell. Grace covers Fred. But grace was not given just so Fred would have permission to sin. Grace was given so that if Fred did break the law in any shape, form, or fashion, if Fred did sin, if flesh did overcome, that he could go to Jesus and that Jesus would be faithful and just to forgive Fred of his sins and cleanse him from all unrighteousness. So can Fred ever take his name out of this book? Yes. But that's Fred's choice. But when Fred says, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is, Fred is saved. And the only way for Fred to get out of this is for Fred to go, I no longer believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. I no longer believe that he is who, he's, who the Bible says he is. I completely walk away. I think that God doesn't exist and God's dead. Or God is this and whatever. Well, who really absolutely knows when we get to heaven? God, God's the one that truly knows our hearts. That's what Paul's saying. 
That's the tension. That's the issue. And let me tell you something. The, the key to this is not being on this side or this side. It's about walking in balance. In the church, we don't need what I call chapel checkers. We don't need people walking around pointing everybody's sin out. I'm not really interested if you think I'm walking in sin or not. I'm not really interested if you think somebody else in the church is walking in sin or not. Why? Because that's not your job or my job. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm called to catch the fish, not clean them. And I'd much rather catch fish than clean them any day of the week. But there are some people in church, bless God, they want to judge people from their point of strength and from your point of weakness. So are you lowering the standard on sin? Absolutely not. The law says we're sinners. But the only way that this happens is through grace that we become the righteousness of God, through Jesus Christ. So my job is to help you pursue Jesus. My job is to help you to learn how to die to sin and to live for Jesus. Because when you learn to die to sin, when you learn to live for Jesus, you begin to do away with this flesh. The Spirit of God begins to grow in you. Righteousness begins to come in your life. And guess what happens? It's life. So that happens for your kids. That happens for your business. That happens for your home. It happens in your life. I, I don't want to sit there and see anybody go through divorce. Do I think that divorced people are going to hell? No. But it doesn't lead to life. I don't want to see anybody get, 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 get involved with illicit drugs or, or some type of addictive behavior that's going to drag them because it doesn't lead to life. But it's learning how to walk this out. And let me tell you, this is like a Tupperware dish. You get all three corners down, you're burping the fourth one, and another one pops up. This is just one of those things that we will struggle we will have this tension for the rest of our life until this body is completely done. Almost says, anybody have any questions? Like I'm teaching. All right, so let me go right on. I covered this in week one, verse 14 and 16. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into the bondage of sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I'm practicing, I'd like to do. But what I am doing, I'm doing the very thing that I hate. Verse 16, but if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. I just want to make this one statement. This, again, is showing, again, we talked about this. We spent an entire week on this, that the struggle is between flesh and spirit. That's what he's saying, that there is indeed a struggle, a tension that deals right here with flesh and spirit. So I'm going to continue on, verse 17 through 23. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh, meaning my flesh, my body, my mind. In and of itself, it's not good. For the willing is present in me. I want to, but the doing good is not there. So what I want to do, I don't do. What I do, I don't do. For the good I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. Verse 20. But if I am doing the very thing that I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it's sin that dwells in me. So i got to figure out how to get sin out is what he's saying. I find the principle that is evil, uh, that is, evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur that the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Again, he's talking about this struggle between spirit and flesh, between law and grace. And, and I'm supposed to have freedom in here. And, and here's what he's saying. This is the easiest way to deal with this. 
that this, this struggle, right, we know this, this struggle and this tension is a direct result of sin, which is a direct result of flesh in my life, which shows itself as an addiction. You and I, just like Superman has kryptonite, have something in our life that struggle is reduced down to an addictive behavior. It's why drug treatments experts are unanimous in their opinion that treating the body to overcome a physical dependency is only the beginning. The key to lifelong sobriety lies in treating the mind, which in itself is a lifelong endeavor. Because the addict is never really cured. And you may go, oh, I don't know, no, 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 no. Listen, Jesus Christ, when he comes into your heart and into your life, let's talk about Fred again, he does not redeem your flesh, he redeems your spirit. Your spirit is set free. Your spirit is the immaterial part of you that's going to live forever. But you're still dealing with this flesh. You can't overcome this flesh. You can learn to die to sin and live for Jesus. You can understand this and grow in this. You can overcome. We're going to talk about this next week. Uh, greater. And you can live in this freedom. You're not bound by this. You're not bound by the, the, the flesh because the spirit is greater than the flesh. But this flesh will always want chocolate cake. Do you understand that? <laughs> this flesh will always want what's not good for it. This flesh is never going to get up in the morning and say to itself, self, it's time to go run five miles. It will never happen in my lifetime. <laughs> Does that make sense? So the reality is, is that the addiction will always be a part of our lives. However, it can, however, addicts can remain in recovery. All of us are chronically addicted to sin long after we are saved. And our bodies crave that which gives us short-term pleasure but causes us long-term death and anguish. And the pull to indulge in craving for sin will always be a part of our lives, at least until we are freed from this body by death. That's the reason why, again, until I have ran my race, I have finished my course, that, that until this body physically is dead... I'm going to be dealing with this struggle and this tension. I'm still going to want chocolate cake. That's what he's saying. Again, if, that, if that's your addiction, God bless you. But you understand? We, so, so what I'm trying to get you to understand is, is, is um, an alcoholic will always have a propensity for alcohol. Can the alcoholic overcome it? Yes. <laughs> if you can't, then what's the good news? If there's no freedom, then why are we here? No, you can overcome this. But you have to understand that you're still going to have a struggle, which means an alcoholic goes, I'm not going to put myself in a place where I'm going to give in to this sin. I'm not going to put myself in a place where I'm going to succumb to this sin. I'm not going to put myself in a place where I'm just going to go and fall off the bandwagon in essence. So I'm going to have people in my life. I'm going to have structure in my life. I'm going to have things in my life. That's what we were talking about last weekend, how to live for Jesus. I'm going to do some things in my life. I'm going to have some guardrails and some safeties in my life that help me because I know that I will always want chocolate cake. I know I will always want an alcoholic beverage. I know I will always want the prescription drug. I know I will always desire the heroin. I know. I, I had somebody say to me one time, you know, Pastor, um, I, I, I haven't drank in years, and I gave up drinking when, when I got saved and, and all of that. And the only time it ever comes that it's a temptation in my life is Friday night fish fries. I just want a beer with the fish. But I know... That if I give in to that, it's going to open a door for me to go right down to some other things. 
I know that the flesh desires that. So I have to put safeguards in my life so that the spirit can overcome. And that's how I want to operate in the grace so that I'm a slave to righteousness and ultimately I'm in life. Is having a beer with fish fry on Friday night a sin? No. Is drunkenness a sin? Yes. So Paul says, look, everything may be permissible, but it's not beneficial. It's the reason why myself and nobody on the staff drinks alcohol. Why? Because number one, I don't be the morality cop of, of the people that work at Life Church, but then number two, I just never want to have anybody else stumble, and I want to do, and I don't want to let anything into my life that would create an addiction that would add to this for me. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying that we will always have this struggle like an addiction. That this struggle is never going to go away. Can you diminish it? Yes. Can you overcome it? Yes. Will it always be present? Yes. Will I always want chocolate cake? Yes. Chocolate cake. Mm, thick frosting, right? Okay, got it? Okay, good. All right. Let's wrap up today. Verse 24 and 25. Wretched man that I am, he says, who will set me free from this body of death? Who will set me free from this body of death? Look, let's go down to verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand I find myself in my mind I'm serving the law of God. On the other I'm serving the law of flesh. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That word wretched, I want to end it this way today. That word wretched has a visual illustration to show this is what this looks like. This struggle, this tension, this law and grace and life and death and addiction and all the things that are going on inside of me. It has this, this feeling of being just completely, completely messed up. The word wretched in the original Greek, there's two word pictures for it. This is one thing I like about the Greek language. The Greek language has its more metaphorical sometimes a meaning. Um, and, and I grew up in the South, and so in the South we have um, uh, what we call euphemisms. They're just little sayings that kind of communicate. You know, like if someone's lucky, they just stumbled on something, we go, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, right? That's just, that's a phrase. It just kind of says, yeah, he kind of stumbled on that one, uh, right? Um, you know, it's like a mule looking at a new gate. You're, you're dumb. That's what that means, right? We have all these little sayings. The Greek language is like that. So when Paul says, what a wretched man I am, one is a picture of a boxer. Think Rocky one, not two. We're not to, we're not to Clubber Lane yet, but Rocky one. It's the end of the, the fight with Apollo Creed, and it's, it's his Yo Adrian moment where he is literally stumbling around, victorious in the ring, but beaten and bloody and completely exhausted. When Paul says, what a wretched man I am, that's part of the word picture for wretched. Another is, a, is something that, that uh, you'll get because, again, being raised in the South, I was very much accustomed to heat and humidity. And we would say we're going to wring something out. Uh, and so what that meant was and we'd, we'd wring out our clothes. So like one summer, I worked at a factory building air conditioners, but it was unair conditioned. I don't know. 
So I would go with steel-toed boots and thick, thick work socks and full jeans and long sleeve shirt and a full apron and glasses, and, and so I'm completely covered. And they had these huge units that basically were like um, um, fans, but they just blew hot, hot air around. Because it would be, you know, in the 90s with about 90-something percent humidity, and it's a big metal box, which means it's just going to attract more heat. And you're in there from, you'd work four 10-hour shifts. My dad did that my, his whole life, my, my, my whole life growing up. And so, so I know a bit about heat and humidity. And at the end of the day, what you would do is you would, you, you would wring out your clothes. Because they were literally just soaked. Your socks, everything was just soaked. And so you would, it'd be like, almost like where you, were, where it, you would have water and it would be just, not sweat, but that kind of a deal. And you would go in and you'd take your clothes before mom would wash them and you'd actually want to dry them and you'd take them and you'd wring them out and when you'd wring them out you would just go man I didn't realize I'm sweating and all of a sudden you realize that's why you got to drink so much and you got to stay hydrated and that kind of a deal it was the same way football two a days you 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 would do the same the same exact thing and um, you just kept doing it because it's what you had to do and you had to learn how to play in the heat you had to learn how to do all that stuff the, the reality is is what Paul says is that word wretched is like taking a rag the rag being your life. And you're constantly being twisted. And you're constantly being wrenched. It's another good word we use in the South. Let's just wrench that one out. Same word you use for like a wrench to work on a car. That's what we say. Let's just wrench it out there. And so you'd wrench out and you'd think, hey man, it's pretty dry. You know, it's there's no water dripping off of it and that kind of a deal. And all of a sudden, you're, you know, and so it's about done. And mom would say, no, 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 there's still more there. You, you need to wrench it out Aaron, more, Aaron. You need to wring that out. And so you go and you go, no, mom. She said, just twist it. If you put enough pressure on it, there's more in there. Paul says that's what it's like to try to live this life for Christ. That sin is so a part of me, so ingrained in who I am. that I think I'm okay and I think I'm relatively got it all out. And all of a sudden, life starts happening. And I get twisted. And I get knotted up. And the pressure gets on. And I'm like, no, 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 man. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. And all of a sudden, there's just more. And there's just more. And the more I get twisted, the more it is. And the good part of it is, is that that sin is being overcome. It's getting out. The bad part of it is I thought I was okay. So when Paul says in verse 24, what a wretched man I am. That's what he's talking about. And if Paul, who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote most of the New Testament, felt this way, do you think you and I are going to feel this way? Sure we are. I want you to understand something. This struggle, this tension is natural. And this side of eternity, we're going to deal with it. Oh, what a wretched man I am. But verse 25, but thanks be to Jesus Christ. I overcome. And he picks up in chapter 8 and he talks about the overcoming life. We're going to deal with that next week.